2: Rick Tittle!
3: All right. Thank you for that. And welcome to another live edition, a fresh week of sports talk on titillating sports with Rick Tittle. Yeah, that's right. I'm your eponymous host coming to you from sports byline, USA, San Francisco, California. What do you got? What do you get? What did I what? What'd you get? What did I what? What you got? Come on in and let's talk and let's get heard at the toll free line. 1-800-878-PLAY 1-800-878-7529 That's how we will find out what you got going and what we got going. Yeah, football, basketball, baseball, hockey, soccer, golf, tennis, auto racing, boxing, Olympics, Quidditch, rollerball, chess checkers, rugby, cricket, all that stuff together. 1-800-878-PLAY Many ways of listening to the show. You get the TuneIn Radio app, the iHeartRadio app, the Stitcher app, Uh, No Twitch today. We'll get that going again uh, manana. We also are on CRN Digital Plus 2, the cable radio network channel 2 in your cable provider. That's 35 million homes. homes. We will also uh, make sure to get you on sportsbyline.com. You go there, click listen live, any emails you want to send to me. You can send those at captainhandsome at irule.com. TV or Rick at sportsbyline.com. Uh, that's another one uh, as well. If you want to uh, check out our guest list, um, here it is. We're going to have Hari Kondabalu, who is a hilarious comedian. He's at the punchline. He'll be here in about a half hour. We're on the horn. Uh, we're going to check in with a couple of Special Olympics refs, uh, reps, I should say, and the refs. They'll be wearing the Foot Locker t shirts. Also, uh, John Lucox for his Beano Cookbook. <laughs> I just realized the Beano Cookbook. It's a book about Beano Cook. Um, we were going to have indie Car driver Dalton Kellett. That might get moved back because he has practice, but we'll see. And then we'll have writer, director, producer Gilda Shepard as well. But your calls in between. The Twitter is at Rick Tittle. Let's do this.
4: How is your car payment treating you?
3: All right, thank you for that, and welcome back to the show, Rick Tiller, with you, uh, coast to coast, border to border, and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. We got some open lines right here. Talk a little uh, NBA playoffs, which is a uh, a topic that I like. Tell you the truth, <clears throat> because I uh, I like what my Warriors are, <laughs> are doing so far. Uh, you think, Rick? Yeah, kind of, sort of. Um, and the Warriors now have a great chance for some valuable time off, uh, if they can put it together and get a sweep, uh, in Dallas. Um, one of my, uh, fellow, uh, broadcasters here in San Francisco was convinced Mavs in six. Well, the Mavs would have to win the next four and it would be Mavs in seven. So he'd be off by one, but, uh, we'll keep our eye on that. But for me, it was All about yesterday in the English Premier League, there is no sport more exciting than uh, soccer on the highest level. I don't mean you go down to the park and watch a bunch of, uh, you know, a pickup game. In and of itself, every sport has its moments, obviously. You can think about your favorite moment in football, basketball, baseball, uh, just amazing tense moments. But as I've said before, and if you don't know, winning or losing in soccer is way more important than any other sport. And it's not even close. And that's because you get kicked out of the league if you're in the bottom three. It's called relegation. You're relegated to the league below. And you think, oh, that sucks. Well, it does. Because you're playing a bunch of teams that aren't usually in the same size stadia. They... You're, you're not on TV anymore, just sporadically. Your best players want to get the hell out. They don't want to play in that lower division. Uh, you might have to uh, sell off your good young players just to make ends meet so you don't go broke. And just the other day, I saw Oldham Athletic, who are now non-league. In England, there are four tiers of what they call professional or league soccer, and when I first started watching them in the 80s, it was League One, Two, Three, Four, And now it's Premier League, Championship, League 1, League 2. Uh, the football league runs the lower three. The Premier League runs the top league, why we call it the Premier League. And that's really just to hog money. But there are only 20 teams. I don't think you should ever have more. <clears throat> and this is why I, you know MLS is so watered down. It's, I, I can't even name all the teams. Pick a city in America. They probably have an MLS team now. But Oldham Athletic, a team that was a top flight team in the first division when I first started following Tottenham, they're non league now. Once again, they are non league. (laughs) And when I look into League Two, which is the the bottom of the league uh, soccer. It was Barrow, or it was Oldham and Scunny, Scunthorpe. Those are the two that are now non-league. Now, that gives promotion to teams playing in the Blue Square Prem or the Southern League or the Conference, as it's called. But you get promoted. So League Two, Forest Green, Exeter, and Bristol Rovers, they all came up to League One, which is a big deal for those teams. Um, League One promoted... Uh, Wigan and Rotherham and then on the playoffs it was MK Dons which is Milton Keynes Dons formerly, formerly Wimbledon that was the first time you had a franchise free agency American style where they moved from London up the M25 to Milton Keynes Sheffield Wednesday Sunderland and Wickham Wanderers those were the playoff teams Sunderland just beat Wickham to go back up to the championship And Sunderland is a huge team. The Black Cats, the Rokermen, the Mackhams. Meanwhile, four teams got relegated into League uh, Two. Gillingham, the Donnies of Doncaster, those Dons of Wimbledon, and Crew Alexandra. Or as they just say, Crew. And so then that brings us back to the... Rick, I don't care about this. Just bear with me for a second. That brings us back to the championship. And Fulham and Bournemouth... <clears throat> both went up. And then the playoff teams, Huddersfield, Nottingham Forest, Sheffield United, and Town, the Hatters, Kenilworth Road in the playoffs. That's another team that used to be in the top flight. They're the plastic pitch, or as we would call it, artificial turf. But the posh, the nickname for Peterborough, Peterborough are down the Rams of Darby County and Barnsley. Uh, Darby and Barnsley used to be top flight teams. But my point is, once you go down you might not ever come back up. And as I just talked about with Oldham Athletic, you might go non-league. When I look at League Two, teams that stayed up, who were Premier League teams, Swindon Town, staying alive in League Two, Tranmere Rovers, staying alive, Bradford City, who I saw play at Tottenham in 2002. They were a top-flight team uh, at the time. And so... <clears throat> the desperation between not trying to get relegated is huge. And when I look at the bottom of the table yesterday, there were teams uh, It was between Leeds and Burnley to who would be the last to go down. Norwich had already been down. Watford had already been relegated. So Leeds had to do better than whatever Burnley did. Burnley lost at home And Leeds won with Jesse Marsh, their American coach. So they survived the trapdoor by three points. Everton, which has never been relegated in my lifetime. Even Tottenham and Manchester United were both relegated in 1973 just for a year and came back up. Everton have never been relegated since the 50s. And they survived on Thursday with a a comeback win. They were down to nothing, and they came back to 1-3-2 win 3-2. You might remember, or you probably don't, in 1994, the last day of the season at Goodison, Everton had to match whatever the aforementioned Wimbledon and Sheffield United did, but they had to win. And 10 minutes into the game, they had already had a handball in the box, penalty, and then they had a known goal. It was 2-0. And it was only the heroics of Graham Stewart clearing off the line and scoring two late goals. Never forget Martin Tyler,
6: Stewart!
3: That... Everton had their great escape on the last day of the season. So now I'm just talking about teams trying to survive. There's always the saying in the Premier League, if you get 40 points, you'll be safe. Now one team, I can't remember who, but they did go down with 40. But that would have been true um, this year because Leeds survived with 38. You played 38 games, 38 points, which would be if you drew every single game, you would barely survive. Getting relegated, but Leeds had to, to match Burnley because when it goes to tie break, the first one is goal difference. And Burnley was at a minus nineteen and Leeds was at an obscene minus thirty-seven. The two teams that went down, Norwich minus sixty-one. Uh by the way, Norwich scored twenty-three goals this year, which was not only the lowest in professional soccer. In England, it was the lowest of all the professional top flights in all of UEFA, in all of Europe. You can go to any country, and if you're playing in that top division, all those other teams scored at more than 23 goals. <laughs> so on the other side of the break, I'm going to get into what promotion means. But when you saw the celebrations, when you saw Leeds score in 90 plus 5, whatever it was, to make sure that they were going to win, and ensure their safety after Burnley uh, at that time was losing you just saw the, the why would you celebrate that because you stayed up and now you get those millions and millions of pounds and euros I guess it's pounds from those television contracts so that's just at the trapdoor the relegation side we'll take a quick break we'll come on back and talk about the drama of getting up and where are you going and where are you finishing? I'm Rick Tittle, come on back on Sports
7: plans
1: That's 800-817-2968
8: If you're taking a calcium supplement, it's probably not doing what you think it is. USA, your calcium doesn't increase bone density. Algae Cal Plus does. Talk to one of our bone health consultants today and see how Algae Cal Plus can start increasing your bone density. Call now.
1: 800 437 8217. 800 437 8217. 800 437 8217. That's 800 437 8217.
9: Has someone in your family lost a job recently? and now you can't afford your mortgage payment? Or do you have a rental property and your tenants aren't paying you? We can come to the rescue and pay you cash for your home immediately. Yes, sell your home and get cash all over the phone without dealing with real estate agents or having to waste time showing your home to lukewarm buyers. You don't need to lose your house to foreclosure. If you have equity in your home, we'll buy your home and give you cash within days, all in a simple over the phone and virtual process. Call now before your situation gets worse. Sell a home you can't afford or just need anymore and get the cash you need today. Call this number now.
1: 800-950-8218. 800-950-8218. 800-950-8218. That's 800-950-8218. Paid for by Want to Sell.
10: You spent over a decade in the Middle East, and I just wanted to say that I'm a great fan of your work. Well, thank you I very much. For don't that. interrupt me, please. Thank you.
11: <laughs> <laughs> what did I just say? Do you know who I am?
12: You must be crazy. You's DOG. And if you was my man, I would have been kicked you out of my house by now. This is what had happened.
3: All righty then. Rick, can I talk Warriors? Yes, you can call me up, 1-800-878-PLAY, and I'm going to get to the dubs. <clears throat> but putting a bow on this Premier League season. So I talked about the struggles of staying up or down. And I remember I had a friend... <clears throat> for many years, who was an Everton fan, and she'd always say, Espec, she was from Liverpool, which is where Everton is, she goes, Oh Spurs? they're quite good, aren't they? They're going to go to Europe, oh, they might win the title. And I'm like, I just don't want to get relegated. She goes, what are you like? Why would you say that? You're not getting relegated. And I'm saying, listen, I remember very well in 1993, where we, Tottenham, stayed up midweek, Second to last game. That was at Portman Road against Ipswich Town. It was goals from Vinny Samways and Steve Sedgley. 1999. I'll never forget that game. I just want to not get relegated. <clears throat> she says, oh, you're so hilarious. Well, her team Everton, as I mentioned, stayed up midweek. <laughs> just a few days ago. They stayed up and they took a right hammering yesterday against Arsenal. But let's get back. So what happens if you win, as we talked about, if you lose? Now, there are no playoffs. Playoffs. You get three points for a win and one for a tie. It used to be, for 100 years, two for a win, one for a tie. But they wanted to beef up interest at the World Cup in the 80s. So they said to, you know, a lot of people say that, you know, people just stand around and they're happy with a tie. It's almost as good as a win to increase attacking soccer. Let's make it three points for a win. You go, well, geez, you could lose two and win one, and that's the same amount of points as if you drew three three times. It's like, yeah, that's right. We don't want ties. We want somebody to try to win. So that was adopted all through FIFA. And then, of course, in 92, you couldn't kick the ball back to the goalie anymore and have him pick it up, which (laughs) the way it was for over 100 years. You have to either chest it, knee it, or head it back to the goalie for him to pick it up or inadvertently kick it to him, which is up for discussion sometimes. So there are no playoffs. You just look at the end of the year, who has the most points, and then you look at goal difference. And if goal difference is the same, then you look at goals scored because if you have 50 goals And 40 against, that's a plus 10. If the other team has 40 goals and 30 against, that's also a plus 10, but you scored 10 more goals. That's another tiebreak as well. So if you win in England, you get to go, if you're in the top four, to the Champions League the next year, which now means you're playing under European lights, the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday lights. And if you're in the Champions League, you're talking about Wednesday nights. And you get to play the top team's and all the other European leagues. So in Germany, you'll be playing the Bayern Munich. In Spain, you're going to be playing Barcelona and Real Madrid. In Italy, you're going to play Juventus and AC Milan. And it's just you see what it's like. You go through, play all those great teams. In Holland, you're going to play Ajax. So it's just these great teams, and the revenue is insane. So what happens when you get all that much, all that money? <clears throat> well, you buy better players. And then you get better. And then you keep winning. And then it's a treadmill. It's an absolute treadmill. I saw, and it seems in my mind, not that long ago, Manchester City get relegated in consecutive seasons. They went down to third grade football. They went down twice. But they had some money coming from the Middle East. They built a brand new stadium at Eastlands, City of Manchester Stadium. This is all oil money. And it was injected into that team. And yesterday they won their fourth Premier League title in five years. This is Man City, not Man United. I remember Rubinho came over from Brazil and I go, did he think he was joining Man United? Did he know he was joining Man City? It was like a running joke. <laughs> and so <clears throat> uh, I think about Chelsea. Chelsea was a team barely staying in the top flight. I remember Glenn Hoddle, one of my former idols. And he was the manager there at Stamford Bridge. Two years in a row, they barely avoided relegation. Well, then this oligarch comes in. uh, Use that term uh, as you wish, uh, as I will. But Roman Abramovich, he puts all this money into Chelsea, and they go win the Champions League, and they win the league, and they win cups under mostly Jose Mourinho, but they also did under Antonio Conte. They've had amazing success. Why? One reason. Money. Money. You took a sad sack team like Chelsea, and you took a doormat team like Manchester City and turned them into world powers. And so now everybody wants to wear a Chelsea jersey. Everybody wants to wear a Man City jersey. And you spread the religion. So when you win, it's way more important than in any other sport. When you win, when the Braves won the World Series, they reported to spring training schmucks. They were the same as all 29 other teams. And they have to start from scratch. Now, that is true in the league when these soccer teams come back. But they also have bigger fish to fry. First of all, they have two domestic cups in England. They have the League Cup and the FA Cup. By the way, Liverpool won both of those cups. Manchester City uh, is going to start with zero points again. But they, as I said, they're going to be in the Champions League. Now, the Champions League is a bit of a misnomer because it used to be champions and Liverpool, Chelsea and Tottenham who are going to go as well. They're not champions. Second, third, fourth place respectively. But <clears throat> too many teams were losing too much money by being out of that competition. They were going to the UEFA Cup or the Cup Winners' Cup if you won your domestic cup, that being the FA Cup, then you go. I know it's a bit confusing. It's it fits in once you start watching it. It can be a bit confusing. The cup competition has nothing to do with the league. It runs concurrent and it's a knockout format. They've been talking about doing that in the NBA. And I would love it if the NBA had a little FA Cup going on during the season. I don't think that will ever happen. People will complain, oh, I did my hamstring in the stupid cup, which no one cares about. It's like the World Baseball Classic. Nah. Mike Trout in the stands watching. This is fun. <laughs> if Mike Trout was a soccer player, he would be playing for the USA. But <clears throat> so you get to go make untold amount of money. Now everybody wants to play for you. They're watching you on TV. You know, it used to be, when I was watching soccer, if you were the best, you went to Italy. You played for Serie A. And they had a Tres Stranieri role. Three strangers, three foreigners. You couldn't have more than three non-Italians on your team. And so Milan had the Dutchmen; They had Van Basten and Rijkaard and Hullet. And AC Milan had the three Germans. They had uh, Andreas Brehmer and Jürgen Klinsmann and Karl-Heinz Riedle. And then, uh, so as you, as you, if you were any good, you wanted to play in Italy. That was the place to go. And slowly but surely when the premier league formed in 1993, the breakaway league, so to speak in England, now everybody wanted to play in the premier league and it is now easily and by far the best and most exciting league in the world. And it's full of people outside the home countries, which is their term for the UK and the Republic. So. Tottenham yesterday, all they had to do was draw with bottom, rock-bottom Norwich. And uh, the aforementioned, uh, <laughs> going into the game, they were uh, minus 56 in goals. And they went to Carroll Road in East Anglia up there, and they just had to draw. Meanwhile, Arsenal had to win. Now, when Antonio Conte took over for uh, Nuno Espirito Espirito Santo in November, Tottenham were ninth. To get them into the Champions League didn't look good, especially when they had lost three games in a row at a certain point. But Tottenham did win. They beat Norwich 5-0. Sun Ming-Hung earned the golden boot tie with Mohamed Salah. To me, he's the real winner. Salah had a bunch of penalties in there. Sun 23 goals, zero penalties to win the golden boot. Arsenal, Man United now will go to the Europa League, which is the UEFA Cup and the Cup Winners' Cup put together. And then the conference, West Ham will go there. That just started last year. That's the third-tier league. But you think about how the Champions League has expanded. I remember when Blackburn Rovers won the the, uh, English League, they went out on the first bell to uh, Tromso in Norway. And that happened to an Italian team, too. I forget which one. I think it was AC Milan. And they go, we're losing all this money. So they decided to form mini leagues. If we have groups of four, we're guaranteed six games. It's all built to make money. And in soccer, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And so I'm, my, my ringtone on my phone for over 10 years has been the Champions League theme song when Tottenham finally got in. Uh, over the moon yesterday to see that victory getting past Arsenal by two points. That's their big rival. Tottenham have now finished ahead of Arsenal in standing six years in a row. Meanwhile, going down, Burnley, Watford, Norwich, they will go down to the championship. And Norwich will try to pop back up again. We'll, we'll see what happens there. But it's, t- it's hard to survive when you're a promoted team. It really is. And I look at the job that, you know, Ankerson, the guy I've had on my show twice, what he's been able to do at Brentford, they were able to stay up. Um, you look at you know, Brighton, Hove Albion finishing in the top 10. It can be done, but it's really hard. Winning and losing in soccer is a million times more important than any other sport. You literally can go non-league like Oldham Athletic. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll have a little comedy from Hurry Kondabalu. Come on back on Sports Buck.
0: And now today's rust-eating tip of the day, presented by Free All Deep Penetrating Oil. You're all set for a quick tire rotation until you have a rusted-on wheel. Coat those lug nuts in penetrating oil, let them sit for a few minutes, and you'll have them off in a cinch. Now give a generous spray into each mounting hole, place a 2x4 on the outer edge of the wheel,
5: and smack the wood with a mallet, just enough to create some braking force and vibration. Repeat if necessary. And now a word from Free All.
7: Stop wasting your time struggling to loosen rusted nuts and bolts. Start using Free All Deep Penetrating Oil.
11: If you think you might not qualify, remember, they can say yes when your bank says no. Call EasyKnock now and get the cash you need out of your home. EasyKnock is not a lender. Its products are not available in all
1: markets. Terms and conditions apply. 800-245-9187. 800-245-9187. 800-245-9187. That's 800-245-9187.
12: about anything else when you've got Rick Tittle on the radio.
3: (laughs) Bless your heart. Welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you, nationally syndicated out of San Francisco and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. You know we love the comedians when they come into town, and this weekend at the Punchline down here on Battery Street, you want to make sure you get over to see Hurry Kondabolu, a very funny comedian out of Queens, and uh, you might remember the documentary The Problem with Apu that he did uh, Hurry, welcome to the show. And I was just checking on your background. And uh, I don't know too many comedians that went to the LSC. Uh, that's, that's very, very impressive, I have to say.
15: Well, thanks, Rick. I appreciate it. Yeah, I uh, wasted a lot of money before I decided on a career that didn't need any of it. So that's
3: basically. <laughs> so you go to the, the London School of Economics, and you're supposed to be a head of state or at the very least a Nobel laureate, right?
15: Right. I mean, I got a master's degree in human rights, so that's probably the only thing less lucrative than stand-up. So uh, maybe, maybe I leveled up. I don't know.
3: Well, just when you think about the problem with Apu and talking about um, Indian stereotypes, and uh, of course, you know, I'm here from the Bay Area, where I grew up with tons of uh, Indian kids, and uh, the the expectation on success is is uh, it's it's gripping. You know, it's like you have to be. Uh, a surgeon, almost. Uh, it's uh, what was that same pressure in your family?
15: You know, I mean, I think my parents were always really good about that. Um, you know, I think the key to them was always to get educated. So, you know, getting that master's degree certainly, um, I, I think it certainly gave them a bit of faith that okay, he's going in this direction, but he also has education behind him, and if it, if it doesn't happen, he'll he'll figure something out. Um, and also, you know, I think they knew when I was passing out whenever I saw blood that doctor wasn't in the cards. I went with lawyer for a while, and then I uh, decided I wanted to be an uh, immigrant rights lawyer, so I lowered the bar a little bit. And then I said I wanted to be an immigrant rights activist, and I wanted to get a master's degree from LSC, but it was going to be human rights, so that lowered the bar some more. And then I went to stand up comedian. So at that point, it was such a gradual declined by the time we got there they were they were fine with it
3: i would imagine too when you were in um in london that a lot of people thought that you were probably english too right
15: no no they 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 kind of knew i think as soon as i started talking it was, right. <laughs> it, was pretty, <laughs> it was pretty clear it um it's funny it's where i felt the most american in some ways whenever i leave the country i feel my americanness because when i'm here there's You know the questions of where are you from, and the idea that somehow I'm not, you know, American-born and raised in New York. But like in other places, it becomes very easy to spot me uh, as an American, Uh, and it didn't take very long in the UK as well.
3: Yeah, what's your line in Denmark? The the first time you were told to go back to America, right?
15: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Guy heckled and said. go back to go back to America's the first time i'd ever heard that cause i've been told to go back to so many other places it was <laughs> strangely refreshing <laughs> to be told to go back to where i was born but, yeah
3: i love your line i think you said it's they want you to go back to wherever we're bombing
15: <laughs> yes yeah yeah i've been told to go back to iraq afghanistan libya <laughs> wherever we're bombing in whatever particular moment that's where i'm told to go
3: well, I just think about you know, as a, as a white guy, people will say, you know, well, what are you? And I'm like American. And they go, no, no, what, what? Are, I'm like, what the the heritage? And I'm like, I German, English, Danish, you know, Welsh. And people in Europe ask me, they go, why do people in America say I'm Irish, I'm Italian? I go, that's that's just what we do. Everybody is so ob- obsessed with that. So, for you people, they're just like, you know, what are you? And you're like, I'm from Queens, and I'm like, nah, 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 nah. And they go, no, no, go way back, right?
15: Well, it's a funny thing, man, because, like, you know, especially in, in cities like New York, in, like, San Francisco, in places where there's um, – in places where there's, like, really diverse populations and stuff, I feel like you're more likely to have a white person say, oh, I'm Irish or I'm Italian. But in the middle of the country, when I get asked that, you know, and I ask the person who's asking me, where are you from, they're not going to – they often say, no, I'm just American or, you know, I'm from Ohio or, you know, I'm from some town outside of Boston. I feel like that that kind of sense of being white and yet ethnic really happens more <laughs> where when you're around a variety of different ethnicities. Like New York's an immigration city. Like if, if I heard someone say, no, I'm just white, I'd be like, are you from the Midwest? Like how on earth <laughs> would you respond to that question? But, you know, like, no, we're talking about immigration history, you know, like people yeah. who haven't been to Ireland in generations, but they still say Irish because that's that's a part of their their identity. It's huge.
3: Yeah, I, I've noticed that with people from Texas. They're like, I'm just from Texas. That's right, just, right. Okay. <laughs>
15: <It's>, that's <laughs> the uh, end of story. Yeah.
3: <clears throat> a couple more questions for Hurry kundabolu He's going to be at the uh, punchline this weekend um, there. That's why I think it's so funny now that uh, it was a few years ago, some white girl wore like a sleeveless dress to a prom and people are like, that's Chinese. Don't take my culture. And it's like, you actually stole that dress from Thailand. That's my culture. And these kids are arguing, your, your culture is hanging out at the mall. What do you mean your culture?
15: Right. I mean, it's, it's tricky. I think culture in general, because it's like, we can go after like the people, but most times it's like, like people don't know. It's like, is it like, for example, with like, Christmas stuff. Every year, people get upset about like Christmas is being co-opted, and we're not allowed to show Christmas. And it's and it's like this has nothing to do with people complaining. This has to do with capitalism. Like your culture of Christmas is not what it is because somebody thought they mm-hmm. could make money off it, and that's why Christmas is not Christmas the same way to everybody anymore. And so I think the same thing is true with culture. Unfortunately, like when companies get your culture, it's not your culture the way it should be you know it becomes this this thing that's mass marketed it almost feels like when people get upset at the individual they forget why that individual is wearing it and why they thought it was okay to wear because it's like well it's being marketed at the mall of course i'm going to wear it
3: right and the other thing too is uh we're going deep here by the way with uh, harry kondobolo uh it was like a year ago there was a little bit of a kerfuffle about the the fact that somebody wrote an article saying that the The white man stole surfing from the Hawaiians, and I was like, huh, I don't know. It was stolen, but I thought, isn't that what we're supposed to do as a planet? Is find out the cool things that other people do, or their great food, and 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 you know, I mean, if if they took surfing away and said no one in Hawaii is allowed to surf anymore unless they're white, I mean, that would definitely that would definitely be stealing it. But can, um, do you can, know what
15: it is, Rick? It it has less to do with surfing more than. Like the surfing's the stand-in. The real issue is like Hawaii was taken by colonizers and their queen was put in a prison and they were turned into a state and Native Hawaiians are a smaller and smaller population. Like the surfing is almost the stand-in. It's the one thing you can hold on to as -hmm. something tangible because at this point it's been enough generations where it's like, I don't think we're getting Hawaii back. Do you know what I mean? So it's almost like, you know, that pain is almost the stand-in for, like, the bigger issue. It's like, you know, like, end this? (laughs) End this thing? You know? Like, so I get that. Like, whether or not, you know, you can make an argument about, like, you know, cultures shift over time, nothing stays the same, people, like, that's natural. The part that doesn't feel natural is, like, but we didn't share it. Like, the land was taken. And that's, like, the big thing. It's like when I see lacrosse being played in college. Do you know what I mean? Like, there aren't that many dominant, like, Native American players in the same way there would have been in another generation, right? And that has to do with what's happened to the indigenous populations of America. And so, like,
9: you know, like I get
15: it. It's like that bitterness doesn't come so much from, like, oh, you're playing the sport I love, too. It's like everything. You have everything. You know, no. you know, Rick, we can also talk about how much I like Rocco Baldelli and uh, and Gabe Kapler. I think those are <laughs> – <laughs> we can talk baseball, too. I just want to say how much I love Gabe Kapler as the Giants manager. I'm a Mets fan just because mm-hmm. I love the fact that he doesn't give a crap about unwritten rules, and that's what makes baseball so boring is, like, there's all these – unwritten rules that don't let you have fun like a bat flip used to be like a you know a fastball to the head maybe it still is if you a ball gets away with you then somebody else on the other team is going to get hit like you can't show joy what is this a game to you like yes like everything about baseball is made to be boring and i love the fact this guy's like this is how you play the game it's ridiculous we have these rules if I don't, you know, if if, I, if you're getting angry that my guy's swinging on a 3-0 and we're up four runs in the third inning, what am I going to say when you come back and win in the eighth and ninth?
3: So, yeah, and, and, not- and Kapler, too, it's interesting about him is that he dresses like a, a Williamsburg hipster. He got a new yeah. tattoo on the back of his hand. You know, he wears jeans with ripped knees and like high button boots. And, uh, he's got, you know, an eight pack, even though he's 45, he's a very interesting guy.
15: Yeah. He's not Connie Mack. Like this is a very <laughs> different, different era.
3: No doubt. So did you, uh, go to Shea stadium a lot growing up?
15: A, a little bit, you know, I was, you know, definitely, I was a Mets in a Yankees fan, which at the time I felt was perfectly reasonable since they were in, different leagues and they only played, um, in spring training. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I would go, I would go to both. I think certainly in the, in the nineties, I became a, a Yankees fan in part because like you could see homegrown talent, you know, cause Steinbrenner was in jail or not in jail. He was suspended. He was mm-hmm. suspended. So at, at that time, they actually didn't trade away all their players. So you have this core of like Bernie Williams and Posada and Jeter that you kind of grew up watching. And so I you know, I, I was a Yankees fan until it went back to the way it used to be and they're signing Kevin Brown and Randy Johnson and a bunch of people that like you know are at the end of their careers. Um, and then I became like a pretty hardcore Mets fan and that's where I am right now. Like I'm primarily a Mets fan and Citi Field is a legit stadium. Shea always felt like it always kind of felt like a, a train depot. It just never felt like a, a legit stadium, and like City Field is is amazing.
3: Is that because the Jets stained it? <laughs>
15: I think first of all the horseshoe shape, the fact that like it when I when I would you get food, it it felt like you were buying food outside of a subway. Do you know what I mean? It just felt dirty. It was you had planes like, landing on you almost. It was just, it was like this, like, look, it's, it's, there's a charm to the fact that there were chop shops, like, directly outside of Shea Stadium, like, you literally were surrounded by nothing, and I kind of love that, like, it's really in the city in that way, but it was not a fun experience, like, I don't even, when they built it, I don't think it felt new.
3: All right. Well, listen, I want to make sure everybody – he's a fascinating guy. I could talk to him all day. Hari Kondobalu. And, by the way, a hilarious comedian. He's really, really good. Make sure to check him out at the Punchline, as I mentioned, right down here, downtown San Francisco on Battery Street. Hari, thanks for coming on, man. Good stuff.
15: I appreciate it. Thank you so
3: much. All right. I'm Rick Tuddle. We'll take a quick break, and we'll come on back on Sports Byline.
1: That's 800 871 9417. Terms and conditions apply. Financing is available with approved credit. See openroadlending.com for details.
17: Do you own an annuity, either fixed rate, indexed, or variable? Are you paying high fees and getting low returns? If so, Annuity General would like you to have this free book to learn the pitfalls and mistakes of buying an annuity. Hurry, supplies are limited. Call now.
1: 800-760-1845. 800-760-1845. 800-760-1845. That's
8: 800-760-1845. Now you see that evil will always triumph because good is dumb.
12: Tittle always goes commando.
3: Thank you for that. We still got another couple of hours to go. Um, I always love these headlines. Russell Wilson's former teammate K.J. Wright says Broncos will be in last place. Sounds like it's some sort of shred. Look, the AFC West is one of the most fascinating divisions in football because the Chargers, Raiders, and Broncos made huge additions in trades and free agency Uh, and the chiefs are the chiefs. You've got four legitimate quarterbacks there, unless you hate Derek Carr, but KJ Wright, who was with Russell Wilson for nine years in Seattle and last year with the Raiders was asked about the division in USA today. And he said, quote, you got to look at it from a holistic standpoint. You got to look outside of the quarterback. What's on the other side of the ball? What's on defense? I believe the Broncos have some pieces, but I don't know if it's going to be enough to slow down these weapons in the division. It's going to be tight, but only three are going to make it. End quote. <laughs> That's it. He said there's a lot of weapons. And everything he said is absolutely true. It's, it's, if, you, if you watch football, it's what any reasonable person would say. Is that is Russell Wilson really enough when the defense was a sieve at times? And yet, the headline KJ Wright says Broncos will be in last place. Headline grabbers. It's the name of my podcast. All right, uh, we'll take a quick break, quick news break. Skip that, come back in five minutes, and let's resume the sports talk on Sports Byline.
6: Starting to let right here You're my From the outside to- USA Radio News with Tim Berg USA
18: Radio News with Tim Berg A new survey from the Fed Reserve finds Americans were uneasy about the economy even before inflation started soaring. The Fed releasing its annual survey of household economics and decision-making for 2021. Only 24% of respondents thought national economic conditions were good or excellent. That represented a drop from 26% in 2020, the height of the COVID pandemic. The figure was at 50% in 2019. This, as President Biden says, an economic recession isn't inevitable.
6: Our GDP is going to grow faster than China's for the first time in 40 years. Now, does that mean we don't have problems? We do. We have problems that the rest of the world has.
18: AAA says the national average for a gallon of regular gasoline remains unchanged at $4.59 a gallon. USA Radio News. This is the last week of the Johnny Depp defamation trial in Virginia, and he will reportedly be back on the stand. The Pirates of the Caribbean star already testifying in his case against ex-wife Amber Heard. He says her claims of domestic violence aren't true and have hurt his career. She countersued and spent two days testifying as well. Closing arguments are set for Friday. Elon Musk is continuing to have questions about the amount of people actually on Twitter.
13: Elon Musk suggested that his agreement to purchase Twitter for $44 billion was based on actual followers of the platform. Now that it's been exposed, bots or non-people computers are in a large portion of the platform, his bid should be lowered to match the actual users. If 25% of the users are bots, then the Twitter acquisition deal should cost $25 percent less.
18: Lance Pry reporting from the USA Radio News West Coast News Bureau. USA Radio News.
5: Think of everything you do to provide for your family. A home, food on the table, health care, vacations, and saving for your kids' education. It's all good as long as you're alive, but it's only a drop in the bucket of what they'll need if you die without life insurance. Buying term life insurance is not something you can afford to put off. Call the term lifeline now for the lowest possible rates on quality term life insurance. Term life rates are at all-time lows, and we can save you up to 70%. If you already have coverage, you could be paying too much. One
18: call... Although monkeypox is not a new disease and is rarely seen outside Africa... Multiple cases have been confirmed in the United States and Europe recently. At the United Nations headquarters in Geneva, the World Health Organization's head of the smallpox secretariat, Dr. Rosamund Lewis, says they are working with officials in Africa to research why it is showing up in urban areas.
9: We've seen a few cases in Europe over the last five years just in travelers, but this is the first time we're seeing cases across many countries at the same time uh, in people who have not traveled uh, to to the endemic regions in Africa.
18: Monkeypox is related to smallpox, however, people usually experience milder symptoms. Sweden and Finland have both submitted official applications to become a part of NATO. The Senate will soon vote on the U.S. approval of their applications. So far, senators from both parties appear supportive. Delaware Senator Chris Kuhn says that the U.S. government has come together in the effort against the Russian invasion.
11: The welcoming of Finland and Sweden into NATO.
18: Um, this is collective action, but it is an important um, example of both President Biden's leadership, but also the Republicans and Democrats in Congress uh, pulling together. The Boston Celtics set to host Game 4 of the NBA Eastern Conference Finals against the Miami Heat tonight. Tip-off set for just after 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. For USA Radio News, I'm Tim Berg.
3: All right, thank you for that. And welcome back to hour number two of three of Titillating Sports with me, your humble host, Rick Tittle. <clears throat> Coming up, we have Special Olympics representative David Evangelista talk about a very important refugee program that they're helping out with. Also, in a little over half hour, author John Lucox has written a book about Beano Cook. Although he's a military historian, I'll probably talk to him mostly about that because <laughs> I love. Uh, military books as well and then writer producer director gilda shepherd will talk about her documentary since i been down uh, as well there are reports are from usa today that the future of dan snyder in the nfl might not be long He, of course, has been the centerpiece of some damning reports of allegations of a toxic culture, not just with their own cheerleaders, but with the accounting department. Of course, he said, write it in all caps, the name Redskin will never go away. He's being investigated by Congress. He's being investigated by also the Federal Trade Commission. He's being investigated by the (laughs) vagina. Virginia Attorney General and the Vagina Attorney General and one team owner anonymously told USA Today, quote, there's growing frustration about the Washington situation and not over one issue, but how much smoke there is, I think everybody is getting tired of it. Well, they've already been fined $10 million from the whole uh, toxic cheerleader situation. The cheerleaders weren't toxic the way they were treated. And so uh, if there are financial improprieties, that's going to end it because that's what the owners care about the most, obviously, is the uh, money. Removing him would require three-fourths. That would be 24 votes. And apparently the tally is being taken behind the scenes. If there was a vote, would you kick him out? And apparently they think they have 24. Uh, we'll keep our eye on that one. All right, I'm Rick Tittle, as I mentioned, one eight hundred eight seven eight 878 plays, and the number to participate. Come on back.
1: You can't get much for five bucks these days unless you go to Wendy's for a $5 biggie bag. Get your choice of double stack, junior bacon cheeseburger, or crispy chicken BLT, plus four-piece nugs, fries, and a drink. All for just five bucks.
11: That was smooth, wasn't it? That's how you're going to feel when you get that biggie bag at Wendy's. U.S. price and participation may vary. Includes four-piece nuggets, small soft drink, and small fry. Prices may be higher in Alaska and Hawaii.
1: Do you need to get your hands on some extra money right now? Maybe $25,000 or more? If you're a homeowner, now is the perfect time to get cash out while homes in many neighborhoods like yours have gone up in value. You can use the money for anything. It's yours. You can buy an investment property, pay off higher interest debt, or make home improvements. If you need $25,000, $50,000, or more, now is the time. Home values are up, and so is your equity. We offer you a way to use it. No need to use your savings. Call New American Funding now and see how much cash out you can get. Call 800-209-6124. 800-209-6124. 800-209-6124. That's 800-209-6124. NMLS 6606. www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org This is not an offer or commitment to lend. Subject to borrower and property qualifications. Not all borrowers will qualify. Terms and conditions apply. Equal housing opportunity.
16: Want to kill bugs
0: like the pros do? Now you can with Maggie's Farm. Created by pest control professionals, Maggie's Farm plant and mineral-based products provide amazingly effective insect control. All of our plant-based products are safe to use around children and pets and won't leave behind a messy, oily residue. Maggie's Farm, lethal to bugs, easy on the planet. Now, for a limited time, get a free box of our patented no-spill ant-kill bait stations with purchase at greenbugkiller.com. That's greenbugkiller.com.
3: All right. uh, Thank you for that. And uh, welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you coast to coast and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. It's our pleasure to welcome to the show David Evangelista. And uh, he is here on behalf of the Special Olympics. And um, it is uh, a very important cause united with refugees program david welcome to the show and we think special olympics we think about all the wonderful work that they've done and i've had tim shriver and others on my show uh, over the years what what is going on with the uh, united with refugees program
14: oh well thank you very much it's a it's a pleasure to to be on the line and thanks for the platform Uh, Are are you unified with refugees although we are united uh for sure um our Unified with Refugees platform uh, is simply an extension of the lessons that we've been learning from the athletes of Special Olympics for decades, which is when you extend an invitation to people on the margins and you invite them to join you in the center, be it the center of the pitch, center of the swimming pool, center of the dialogue. Um, most often they'll come uh, if they know uh, that you're willing to provide them with the solidarity and the opportunity to be themselves. And that's exactly what we've done in response to uh, the refugee crisis that began in 2016, 2017, and uh, what has really been part of a massive effort uh, in response uh, uh, to, to the war in, in in Ukraine.
3: That's the thing I was thinking about. You know, it was, as much as we think about refugees and there are still problems all over the world, we think about the millions now that have been forced out of uh, the Ukraine. How, does, how do you tangibly... Um, help with the, those people.
14: Actually, I, I think you've, you've said it. We, we're, what, what we're providing is real tangible support. Um, when, when, uh, when the war started in Ukraine, starting you know, immediately on February 24th, uh, Special Olympics, Europe, Eurasia, the, the office that I'm, I'm very proud and, and, and humbled to, uh, to, to lead uh, with a, with a very dynamic uh, multicultural multilingual team, Uh, we immediately started uh, to activate our national special Olympic organizations to ensure that we were in touch with the border authorities and all of the border nations, Moldova, Romania, Poland, uh, uh, Slovakia. And we wanted to ensure that any of the the individuals coming over the borders that had an intellectual disability were immediately referred uh, to our national organizations for, for support, not only in the way of the provision of Opportunities for sports and family support and health and so on, but the immediate needs: clothing, food, water, uh, uh, sanitary kits, social protection, uh, accommodation, uh, transport. The, the, I mean, the needs remain incredibly acute. But you can imagine in early March, uh, this was this was just a uh, it was a remarkable effort for all the wrong reasons, of course, that we know. Since that time, I'm really happy to say that. Um, <clears throat> across East, Central and Eastern Europe, our national special book organizations in partnership with Special Books Europe, uh, we're supporting in the upwards of about 10 to 15,000 refugees, uh, many, most of whom have intellectual disabilities, but some do not, uh, and their families. We're doing that through the provision of, again, all these basic needs, of food and clothing and water and 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 uh, and sanitation supplies, et cetera. We also have many of them enrolled in Special Olympics local programming. So we have we have Ukrainian athletes, uh, U- Ukrainian refugees with intellectual disabilities, with Down syndrome or autism or so on. They're already enrolled now in gymnastics classes and swimming classes and uh, early childhood development programming. Families are getting health counseling. Uh, in many cases they're being given you know post-traumatic stress uh, trauma counseling, which we're very uh, happy and, and, and well we're very happy that we can provide that we're not thrilled with the reasons behind it. What it does show, however, is that the movement of Special Olympics and by virtue of that, the architects of that movement, the athletes, these are, these are the individuals packing the boxes. These are the individuals loading the trucks that are being delivered. Uh, to the gymnasiums or the makeshift shelters or the reception centers. These are the individuals unloading those boxes and those pallets and those packs of water and juice and food and so on. Um, Many people mistake the population of people with intellectual disabilities as being a group that needs to be served. Uh, This refugee crisis uh, in Ukraine has brought out in them um, a brand new narrative and a brand new optic they now are the ones serving people in need. No one knows discrimination better than Special Olympic athletes. No one knows isolation, stigmatization. No one knows these things better than the athletes of Special Olympics. And so what better demographic to serve and to support and to highlight the needs of people like refugees on the margins in such disparative settings? What better demographic to do that uh, than the demographic who knows it best And we're very proud of the the efforts that our athletes have been leading and that our national organizations have been leading, because we know at the end of the day, um, uh, the world must be unified with refugees, wherever they are. Uh, No one wants to be on the move like that. Uh, But if if circumstances will create the urgent need to be on the move and to flee violence, uh, the Special Olympics movement stands ready to not only speak to the need to be inclusive, but to act on it too.
3: No, it's very well said. And and unfortunately, that word refugee is is a pejorative and it carries, as you said, a stigmata and you hear, oh, refugees are coming. You don't even need to hear the country. Most people will be like, oh, we don't need refugees over here. So I think about not only them, but the people, as you mentioned, with intellectual and physical disabilities who are already suffering those stigmatas even before they got the term refugee.
13: You
14: know, that's that's the truth. Um, And I'm really glad you said that because, you know, words matter. Words matter. And, um, you know, what if we were, you know, so often in the movement of Special Olympics, we're trying to, to demonstrate that people with intellectual disabilities bring tremendous gifts and talents. They bring a tremendous and fresh perspective on the world. In many ways, the athletes of Special Olympics offer to the world an understanding of what we could be. Uh, certainly not what we are, but they invite us to, to not only to do better, but to be better. And you know, refugees offer us the same thing. Uh, you know, there's an there's an African expression when when two elephants fight, the grass suffers. And that's mm. really what we're seeing in the in the lives of so many. I was on the ground at the border of uh, well, close to the border of Ukraine in Poland. I visited reception centers in Slovakia and. I've seen some of those gymnasiums and some of those shelters, some of whom, some of which are doing just tremendous work in some of the most desperate of, of conditions. Um, and these are these are people that want to go home, uh, but they're also people that are incredibly appreciative of of what's been given to them in terms of an opportunity to be safe with their children, be safe with their families, try and create a create a new beginning. And I hope. And I can say that after meeting with uh, uh, the Honorable Commissioner Helena Dali, the European Commissioner for Equality, um, she validated our shared commitment that um, Europe is diverse. Uh, Europe celebrates the richness of bringing people together from different backgrounds, from different ideologies. Uh, if done in solidarity with the shared commitment to include, the shared commitment to respect, um, what Europe could see from this is a, 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 a renewed understanding of what Europe is as an idea, as, a, as, an, as an understanding um, and the role that people with intellectual disabilities can play in that. And again, I'll go back, the world, the world is in need of new models. The world is in need of new brands. Clearly, the old has not gotten us to a great place if you look at where we are today. Now, that's not to say all is lost, but there's always room for a new business model. There's always room for a new way of, of thinking. There's always room for a new message from athletes who may be your most unusual of suspects. And we're really proud that the athletes of Special Olympics across Europe and across the world uh, are not going to stand on the sidelines. Uh, at, a, at a, such a historic moment in, in European history and in global history, uh, and if their contributions uh, need to take the shape not only uh, of a football match that we've seen, uh, if, if their contributions will not only be uh, in the provisions of you know, medals to show refugees that they're part of our community, if their contributions have to be in the form of unloading pallets from trucks to ensure that people on the margins can have their basic needs met, then what better way to demonstrate that they are the teachers. They are, they are the 21st century teachers of what inclusion looks like and what better time to do it than when the world is watching.
3: Very well. So before I let you go, I know you live in uh, Vigo now. Do you ever go to any Salta games?
14: Uh, (laughs) Balaidos is right down the street from me. So I, I don't, I uh, I don't, I can look out my window and and see the upper echelons of the stadium. Mm. Uh, But suffice it to say, um, uh, without having to turn the TV on, uh, I, I know when they score <laughs> by <laughs> virtue of the sound. And I also know when the other team scores. Uh, the, uh, it's a, uh, uh, Celta Vigo is, a, a, you know, naturally it's part of the fabric of this city in this region. So, yeah. And, and you know, Aspas, Aspas is just killing it. Uh, so, yeah, we're really excited.
3: Very cool. We've been speaking with David Evangelista, a native of Rhode Island, but now the regional president and managing director for Europe and Eurasia for the Special Olympics, 58 countries. And We've been talking about united with refugees. Find out more on how to help at specialolympics.org. David, congratulations on all the great work you guys are doing, and thanks for coming by. Thank you so much
14: for having me. Really appreciate
3: it. All right. I'm Rick Tittle. We'll take a quick break. We've got some open lines at 1-800-878-PLAY. Come on back on Sports Bio.
12: percent sure Rick Tittle is the father of my child, but I'm 100% sure Rick Tittle is a jackass.
3: All right, that hurts my feelings. Welcome back to the show, Rick Tittle with you, Coasty Coast, and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. Coming up in the next segment, we'll talk to John Lucox about his new book about Beano Cook. <clears throat> the Warriors are one win away from going back to the finals after being the Mavs in the Lone Star State 10 10- last night in Game 3. Steph Curry with 31 points. Andrew Wiggins stepping up big with 27. And uh, once again, Luka Doncic did everything he could. 40 points, 11 rebounds, and 3 assists. Um, And even combined with 46 points from Jalen Brunson and Spencer Didwitty, Dallas just did not have enough for the entire game. And so the Warriors will get a chance to try to close it out Tuesday. But <clears throat> once again, Andrew Wiggins, you know, it's if, if Andrew Wiggins was a bench player, you know, if he was uh, you know, back in the days of Leandro Barbosa and Sean Livingston and they'd come in and go, wow, take a bow. But he was the number one overall pick and he makes over $400,000 a game. Once again, over $400,000 a game. So it's like, wow, Wiggins really came through. Well, he should. But still, that one-handed, cock-your-arm-back dunk, I don't think I've ever seen Wiggins have a massive tomahawk dunk like that. that. I mean, it was dunk of the year material for the whole team. That's the kind of stuff that we saw during All-Star Weekend. But it was a cherry on the top for... His performance last night, 27 points and 11 rebounds and three assists. Those are playoff highs for him. Shot 55% from the field. But, look, he has not been a ghost in this series. He's averaged over 20 points, and he has been drawing the toughest defensive assignment most of the time on Doncic. And, of course, Doncic is still getting his. But Wiggins has been making life difficult on him, I'd like to think. But Wiggins has shifted between being the second best player on the team this year, sometimes to being, is he on the team? Remember, at the beginning of the year, he said, I'm not getting vaxxed. And they said, all right, well, can't play at home. And then there was a lot of pressure on him. And he said, oh, all right, I do it. And I remember I kind of felt sorry for him. But then again, that was his choice. And uh seems like he's fine. But the Dallas role players were a no-show because they're down to 2 um, They Remember, they were down 2 nothing against the Suns, and they responded with four of their five starters going into double figures, and they got that Game 3 win in Dallas, and Reggie Bullock and Dorian Finney-Smith and Maxie Kleber, they all went wild in that game, and that gave them the boost, but that was not the case last night. And as I mentioned, Doncic got plenty of help from Brunson and Didwiddy. Those three guys scored 86 of the 100 points. But Bullock played almost the entire game. And he was 0 for 10 from the field. 39 minutes, 0 for 10. Finney Smith had 9 points, so it's not like he didn't show up, but they just needed more of him. And Maxi Kleber, uh, 0 for 5 from the field, 0 points. So when all three of those guys are not doing anything, especially two of them, what are they supposed to do? And that is get a lot out of that trio. But they kept it close to the final buzzer, unlike the first two games. But it just didn't feel like they could make a legitimate run without those other guys making shots. And so the Warriors have been dominant the first three games, at least when it gets down to the end. And it's crazy to think that if it wasn't for injuries to both Thompson and Curry in the last two years, the Warriors could be on the cusp of reaching their eighth straight NBA Finals. That's just how talented this team has been over the last eight years. But there's still work to be done because Donchitz and the rest of the Mavs will do everything to try to extend this series, and they do not want to get swept, and swept at home, too. But the one thing the Warriors don't want to do is start thinking about what's next on the calendar for them outside of this series. What's next is game four. And they'll be the first to tell you they're not looking ahead, even though subconsciously they might be doing it. Because as we've said before, no NBA team has ever come back from three love in any playoff series ever. No Dave Roberts stealing, none of that. So, Uh, Right now, if you're up 3-0 in the NBA playoffs, 146-0. And And listen, the Warriors can't take that for granted because they infamously lost out in 2016 holding a 3-1 advantage. And that's why I said it was the biggest choke in NBA history because they were the best team in NBA history in the regular season. And people say, yeah, but Draymond missed a game. Okay, he missed a game when he was suspended. What about the other two? right? It don't mean a thing unless you get that rang, right? So, I would expect the Warriors to come out for the kill in game four. Steph Curry said, we obviously know the job's not done, but it's a good feeling to know we can, that we came and got a win. We can play with house money on Tuesday and try and get it done. So, look, finishing a series quickly is always valuable because it allows your players to rest and injuries to heal and coaches to prepare, but it's even more crucial for the Warriors, if you're given what's transpiring on the other side of the bracket, because those Celtics and Heat are in the middle of a bloodbath right now. It's, it, I mean, if you think about what they've been doing and going at it, Jimmy Butler was only able to play in the first half of game three because his knee was sore. Jason Tatum got a nerve impingement in his shoulder. He had to leave the game in game three. We already know Marcus Smart missed Game 1, and now he hurt his ankle. He's questionable for Game 4. Kyle Lowry had a hamstring, missed two games. P.J. Tucker left Game 2 with a bad knee. Robert Williams missed Game 3 with a bad knee. Of course, and Al Horford missed the first game with COVID. But that's not even mentioning Tyler Hero, Max Driss, Gabe Vincent, who have all appeared on the heat injury list throughout the series. On the other hand, the Warriors have... Two bench players who are out for another week. That's Iguodala, who doesn't mean much to the Warriors right now, and their history does. And Gary Payton, the second, who is a loss, but they're okay. We know that Otto Porter left with a foot injury, but for the most part, knock on wood, they're all right. And that's what Clay Thompson said. It's very important to get rest because we want to be whole going into the next round. Well, they need to get into the next round first before they can do that. But the first game of the NBA Finals is June 2nd. So if the Warriors win tomorrow night, they'll get eight full days of rest. Meanwhile, if the Celtics and Heat punch it up to seven games, they'll have three days of rest. Now you always say, well, it's better to stay hot. Uh, Listen, you never know. Maybe the rest the Warriors will get rusty. I'd much rather have the rest given the choice. I mean, they dispatched the Grizz in six games, which gave them four days off. But the Mavericks only had two days off after that emotional game seven over the Suns. But first things first, the Warriors have to win Tuesday to start getting those eight days of rest. Draymond Green said, quote, being one way I went from the finals means absolutely nothing. You have to win one more game and that game isn't going to be easy. So we got to make sure we come in with an even better focus level than we did tonight. Closeout games are always the toughest. We got to come out and win the game. They're not going to give it to us. It's exactly right. All right, we'll take a quick break and we'll come on back on Sports Byline.
11: Let's say life knocks on your door and you need money to live on or pay bills. What do you do? Would your life be better if you were able to take the equity you've built in your home and spend it any way you want? Here's an idea. Call EasyKnock. They can help you convert the equity in your home into cash in just a few days. If your home is worth $100,000 or more, EasyKnock will buy it from you. You get the money you need and you stay in your home as a renter. Plus, depending on your program, you can buy it back at any time. If you think you might not qualify, remember, they can say yes when your bank says no. Call EasyKnock now and get the cash you need out of your home.
5: Easy Knock is not a lender. Its products are not available in all markets.
1: Terms and conditions apply. 800-245-9187. 800-245-9187. 800-245-9187. That's 800-245-9187.
9: Has someone in your family lost a job recently and now you can't afford your mortgage payment? Or do you have a rental property and your tenants aren't paying you? We can come to the rescue and pay you cash for your home immediately. Yes, sell your home and get cash all over the phone without dealing with real estate agents or having to waste time showing your home to lukewarm buyers. You don't need to lose your house to foreclosure. If you have equity in your home, we'll buy your home and give you cash within days, all in a simple over-the-phone and virtual process. Call now before your situation gets worse. Sell a home you can't afford or just need anymore and get the cash you need today. Call this number now.
1: 800 950 8218. 800 950 8218. 800 950 8218. That's 800 950 8218. Paid for by Want to Sell.
17: Here at
0: Total Wine and More, you'll find what you love and love what you find, especially our totally low prices. My friends and I are hanging out this weekend, and I'm on cooler duty. Well, these seltzers and canned cocktails, they'll make you the king of the cooler. Oh, that sounds good. Wow, I can fill my cooler without emptying my wallet? Find what you love, love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Pickup and delivery
16: available at TotalWine.com. Drink responsibly, be 21. It doesn't really matter. I, uh, I don't like my job, and, uh... I don't think I'm gonna go anymore.
12: Rick Tittle thinks there's a direct correlation between dogs and lightning.
3: Uh, I think a lot of weird things. Welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you coast to coast and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. It's our pleasure to welcome to the show author John Lucox, and he's here to talk about his book, Haven't They Suffered Enough? This is about Bino Cook, an unbelievable career in sports, PR, and television, John, welcome to the show. Um, we all remember Bino Cook uh, as, as uh, sports fans, but um, when did you find out that this guy had such a fascinating background?
7: Hey, Rick, thank, thanks for having me, and it's also uh, a great honor because I know you're based out in San Francisco, and Bino was born there in that city mm. and has a lot of fond memories. His dad loved the place, so I think this is a, a great, great deal for him. I know he's smiling down on us hearing this.
3: Yeah, I mean, I just I'm just looking at some of the things that you had mentioned um just talk about when he was at Brown because normally you're in an Ivy League school, you think everything's cool, but we also know that there's a big mob element in, in Providence, so how did those two things mesh? Uh
7: they they meshed pretty well actually early on and then uh then there was a little bit of a falling out there, but you know, kind of had some uh, second thoughts about uh, you know his business partners in this particular venture, but uh, that that's that's Bino. I mean, he's he's one of those individuals. You know, you asked right off the bat how I you know realized he had such a a fascinating life. You know, I got to know him as a like you said, the college football guy on ESPN had all these great lines. You know, he was a part comedian, part historian, part commentator, and uh, but he had a very very interesting you know background and the way he looked at things and some of the different jobs he had it was uh you know you can't just pigeonhole him as as one type of you know character he wasn't just a you know a sports guy he had he had a lot of varied interests and i think he pursued a lot of them throughout the course of his life
3: it's it's really a who's who the the people that he knew from you know, presidents to uh, movie stars. Uh, why was it that he was able to gravitate and and those other people that took him in so much?
7: You know, I, I think it's it's kind of that deal that you know everybody likes to <clears throat> every everybody likes to laugh, and and he was you know a, sort of a part time comedian, and I think he 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 just looked at things from a different perspective. He got along with everybody from every walk of life, and I think that uh, he he made it a point. To, to run in as many different circles as, as he could. And that was just, you know, from the very beginning of his life. Like we said, <laughs> you're talking about him running on-campus gambling operations, you know, for the Providence mob in the early 50s. He just, uh, he knew everybody. He 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 ran around with everybody. He liked to have a good time. I mean, he wasn't a big, big party guy, but he, he could be out, uh, you know, with, at a table at a different restaurant with, like you said, you know, a president of, uh, you know, a a network and then he could uh he could sit down and tell jokes with his mailman and things like that and that's all in a span of a couple hours i think he just he had that gift not just a gift of gab but a gift of 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 personal magnetism i mean he was he was a real people person and uh in his background i think it it enabled him to you know to get along with everybody he read voraciously he was you know very very interested in things more than just sports and I think that helped him sort of build and bridge these relationships to people from from so many different walks of life the famous and the infamous
3: when you think about in the I remember well I think I was in college when we had that supreme court case that deregulated college football it opened it up and ESPN came in all the cable networks came in Bino was on both sides of those things how did that uh, relate to him
7: you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating if you think about it because, you know, this year uh, I think was a little bit bigger, actually, 1982, than that 84 Supreme Court ruling because, you know, uh, Bino helped negotiate, it was a split network TV package for college football in the summer of 81, and, you know, ABC for so many years was the network of college football. They dominated for 15, 20 years, and this... Uh, the split network package enabled CBS to get part of the games. And part of that was cable would get their, you know, some of the scraps that were on the left on the table by these two bigger legacy networks. And Bino was a very, very key figure in that whole package being ironed out. And it basically led to the Supreme court case in 84 and then sort of built into the rise of ESPN. And I think if you're a college football fan, you have, Bino you know, a debt of gratitude for coming up with this plan. Now, I don't, I don't think he would appreciate all the stuff that's going on now, you know, with, you know, payor, players getting paid and all the recruiting issues. And, you know, we had a big blow up last week about improprieties and things between, you know, Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. But uh, you're watching a lot more college football on TV than you would be, if not for Bino and some of the things that he did to not just grow the sport, but ex- explode it.
3: A couple more questions for author John Lucox. Haven't they suffered enough is the name of the new book. When you tell somebody you're doing a Bino cookbook, do they think it's some sort of vegan recipe thing?
7: (laughs) You know, that's, that's, it's funny because if you, know, if you, if you Google it, you go to Amazon, uh, you know, that, that comes up and Bino always had a, uh, you know, that, that nickname for him was, uh, you know, it was his for, for the majority of his life. And I think there were those pills that came out called Bino, you know, that they, uh,
3: fart medicine, that
7: gas pill. Right. And uh, he said, that wasn't much of an honor, you know, to share it with that. But there is, there is sort of that, that connotation or correlation there that I I know that he, you know, he laughed about it. He found it funny, but uh, you know, people thought that was, you know, when I told him I was going to finish this for him, you know, he contacted me, we started it over 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to this day, I'm still surprised that it was me. He picked the you know, to help him do this. But, uh, you know, we finally, I finally got it done with the help of, you know, a lot of his friends and, you know, we got his, got his stories down on paper and people can, you know, they can buy the book and read it and they can hear his voice again.
3: It's very cool. I, I'm a huge military history guy. I was a history major and I love going to world war one, world war two battlefields in Europe. And I, I know you were birds of a feather
7: there, right? Definitely. Definitely. That's uh I sort of got started. Well, I got started in sports, migrated to, to, you know, to military history. My dad was a history teacher. And so I got started in that same thing. I mean, we went, you know, every summer people would go to Disney World. Or you'd go to the beach somewhere, you know, go to some amusement park. We went to Civil War battlefields and we hit, you know, all these things. And I just sort of took that a step further and, uh, you know, went to a lot of the ones in Europe, Pacific, and, you know, hit a bunch of different historical sites and conflicts. So, yeah, I think we would, uh, definitely be good to, to travel and do some trips
3: what well, would be um like I remember of all the ones I went to when I was 14 I got to go to Bastogne and and uh you know the 101st and General McAuliffe nuts all that from the Battle mm-hmm. of the Bulge and that one really stuck with me and then in my older years I spent about 10 years just reading World War One books and going to these preserved trenches and Albert and Battle of the Somme some of these other places I know you've been much more extensive. Like I saw you went to Cabana Tuan and, and some places in, in Asia as well. What, what are a couple that really stick out and sort of uh, kind of stained into your memory?
7: Yeah, you know, to, to be honest, Rick, I think that, you know, I, I mean, I've been to Bastogne as well. And, you know, it's a fascinating place. And, and even the area around there, you know, you go to Foy and all those places, you can still see some of those foxholes and things like that. I'm a fan of the places that they haven't been prettied up you know kind of like our civil war battlefields here you don't you know you see the cannons and they have the nice fence lines and the interpretive plaques and things like that but there are places kind of like Corregidor i think is you know the island in the Philippines that mm-hmm. uh you know MacArthur left from when he went to Australia and said I shall return it's it's one of the best preserved battlefields in the entire world because it's an island it's kind of hard to get to so it can't be can't be overly developed and can't be uh you know really Pristined up, I guess you could say. So those are the kind of places that, for me, because you know you can you can walk there and you can see you know the guns are just left there because they were too too expensive to move them. There was there was no way to you know to sort of clean these things up. And there's other places like you know Guadalcanal. It's obviously you know kind of an impoverished area, and they still have there's still wrecks of you know tanks in the jungle. There's still uh, you know the hulls of boats that 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 were sunk or washed up on you know on shore, and you can. You know, if you don't have a great fear of tetanus, you can play around on some of these things and get a, you know, get a real good sense of, you know, you're in a sense of awe because you figure, you know, this, this, this tank or this landing craft or whatever, you know, the last time it actually moved was in the middle of a battle. And, you know, so you have a real, real sense of the history and you can actually reach out and touch it.
3: Is there anything left of the Ziegfried line? I mean, there's a lot of dragon's teeth, but anything else outside of some, you know, pillboxes and such things?
7: Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. You know, there's a dragon's teeth, and a lot of things are sort of mossed over. Uh, you know, and there's some pillboxes, things like that that you can you can get in over there. And obviously, you know, I think uh, some of the concentration camps are still standing. I've been to mm-hmm. Dachau, and that's you know obviously yeah, me too. you know a very very powerful place. And I think mm-hmm. that you know it's and things are you know it's it's best when they're sort of they're 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 fixed up, but yet they're left alone so you can get enough of the you know the feel of the people who were there you know and fought on both sides or you know who had been there and like you mentioned Cabanatuan and you know there's a few places like that my first book is called Escape from Davao uh it's actually interesting the the prison camp in Davao is still in use by the Philippine government wow so and I got, I got inside of that so that's kind of different it's not a it's not a park area it's an actual working penitentiary out in the middle of the jungle so that's that's probably one of the most interesting you know places I got to go to
3: very cool. I, I could do a whole interview about that. But before we let you go, one last question: What what one thing, when you were researching this book, because you knew Bino pretty well, but what was the one thing, or you were like, man, I had no idea? It kind of blew your mind about him.
7: Uh, yes, you know, I could. I could probably do another half an hour just on that. You know, if you wanted me to to settle down on something, there was a chapter that you know he mentioned it. He worked for Vista, which was you know the Domestic Peace Corps. And there was a point where he was just he was so burned out with with sports, with network television, with all the politics and backstabbing and, you know, and all the things that go on with working in in that industry with all those high powered and competitive individuals. And he just said, you know what, I'm getting away from it. I'm quitting. And, you know, he 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 was going to join the Peace Corps. And he said, you know what, I don't want to get sent somewhere, you know, in the middle of a jungle in Africa. I'm not going to get the college football scores. (laughs) <laughs> so he's so, you know, that that was Bino's logic. And he was mm. you know, it it when you read that sentence in the book, you kind of laugh, but yet that's the way he thought. You know, he said, I'm a, you know, I gotta find out if Pitt beat Notre Dame this year. There's no way I wanna miss that. So he you know, he, he he did his public service type thing and it's you know, it's one of the shortest chapters in a book, but it's it's one of the most fascinating. And I think a lot of people who are you know, they know Bino as the college football guy who made the you know, made the picks and gambling and all that stuff that you know I hope if they get this book, they don't just gloss over that chapter because it's to me it was one of those things where you know he talked about it and he was very proud of what he did, and he said, "Hey, make sure this gets in there and so you know when someone goes to that that effort to that extent to to make that clear to you that's you know it impresses upon you the importance of what it was to you know to his life, so his chapter and his work with you know with vista was uh it was it was an eye opener for me because you I, I always knew he was a very generous thoughtful individual and but you read that and you understand that he you know he he did think on a higher plane in in a lot of regards and you know with his uh the way he wanted to live his life and be remembered for and i think that really that part of the book kind of sums it up
3: very cool the book Beano Cook Haven't They Suffered Enough an Unbelievable Career in Sports PR and Television we've had the author John Lucox on Great talking to you. Congratulations on the book, and let's catch up on your next one, man.
7: Definitely. Hey, thank you very much, Rick. Take care.
3: All right. I'm Rick Tittle. We'll take a quick break. Get on back on Sports Byline.
4: Call Rate Genius
1: now. 800-811-7913. 800-811-7913. 800-811-7913. That's 800-811-7913. Not all applicants qualify for a loan or rate savings. Actual offer terms,
5: including APR, are determined at the time of your application based on creditworthiness, value of the vehicle, loan term, and other factors.
8: If you're taking a calcium supplement, it's probably not doing what you think it is.
12: Kittle ate 200 chicken wings at your mama's house last night. Now, back to Fat Boy.:
3: oh, That hurts my feelings. A couple minutes left an hour number two of three. Trevor story got off to a really slow start in Boston, and now he's heating up. In fact, there was a game a couple days ago uh, that he hit three uh, home runs in a uh, win over Seattle at the Green Monster, but he hit a grand slam. Who was sitting on top? of the Green Monster, Johnny Gomes, Petaluma's Zone, and uh, former Red Sox, 41 years old. He caught it, and they asked him, did you expect to catch it? He said, yes, that's why I'm up here. <laughs> and he says, uh, he says, I said, I, I don't want to do any pre and post game shows. I just want to see it up on the monster. But uh, I like Mill Whittlebrooks. He said, Johnny Gomes didn't, catch that ball he tackled it all right we got another hour to go we will have uh writer director gilda shepherd we will also have Luca fury talking a little mma as well i'm rick tittle we'll see you in a second
6: SA
18: Radio News with Tim Berg. A new survey from the Fed Reserve finds Americans were uneasy about the economy even before inflation started soaring. The Fed releasing its annual survey of household economics and decision making for 2021. Only 24% of respondents thought national economic conditions were good or excellent. That represented a drop from 26% in 2020, the height of the COVID pandemic. The figure was at 50 percent in 2019. This, as President Biden says, an economic recession isn't inevitable.
6: Our GDP is going to grow faster than China's for the first time in 40 years. Now, does that mean we don't have problems? We do. We have problems that the rest of the world has.
18: AAA says the national average for a gallon of regular gasoline remains unchanged at $4.59 a gallon. USA Radio News. This is the last week of the Johnny Depp defamation trial in Virginia, and he will reportedly be back on the stand. The Pirates of the Caribbean star already testifying in his case against ex-wife Amber Heard. He says her claims of domestic violence aren't true and have hurt his career. She countersued and spent two days testifying as well. Closing arguments are set for Friday. Elon Musk is continuing to have questions about the amount of people actually on Twitter.
13: Elon Musk suggested that his agreement to purchase Twitter for 44 billion dollars was based on actual followers of the platform. Now that it's been exposed bots or non-people computers are in a large portion of the platform, his bid should be lowered to match the actual users. If 25% of the users are bots, then the Twitter acquisition deal should cost 20 percent less.
18: Lance Pry reporting from the USA Radio News West Coast News Bureau. USA Radio News.
5: Think of everything you do to provide for your family. A home, food on the table, health care, vacations, and saving for your kids' education. It's all good as long as you're alive, but it's only a drop in the bucket of what they'll need if you die without life insurance. Buying term life insurance is not something you can afford to put off. Call the term lifeline now for the lowest possible rates on quality term life insurance. Term life rates are at all-time lows, and we can save you up to 70%. If you already have coverage, you could be paying too much. One
18: call... Although monkeypox is not a new disease and is rarely seen outside Africa... Multiple cases have been confirmed in the United States and Europe recently. At the United Nations headquarters in Geneva, the World Health Organization's head of the smallpox secretariat, Dr. Rosamund Lewis, says they are working with officials in Africa to research why it is showing up in urban areas.
9: We've seen a few cases in Europe over the last five years just in travelers, but this is the first time we're seeing cases across many countries at the same time uh, in people who have not traveled uh, to to the endemic regions in Africa.
18: Monkeypox is related to smallpox, however, people usually experience milder symptoms. Sweden and Finland have both submitted official applications to become a part of NATO. The Senate will soon vote on the U.S. approval of their applications. So far, senators from both parties appear supportive. Delaware Senator Chris Kuhn says that the U.S. government has come together in the effort against the Russian invasion.
11: The welcoming of Finland and Sweden into NATO.
18: Um, this is collective action, but it is an important um, example of both President Biden's leadership, but also the Republicans and Democrats in Congress uh, pulling together. The Boston Celtics set to host Game 4 of the NBA Eastern Conference Finals against the Miami Heat tonight. Tip-off set for just after 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. For USA Radio News, I'm Tim Berg.
3: Thank you very much for that. And we're back for another, I don't know what happened to my accent right there, but we're back for another hour. Tiddling sports with egg Tittle. Got a uh, email here from Jeremy saying, uh, this is the only show where I can get information about the Siegfried line. <laughs> well, the guy is a, uh, you know, he's an author. King of the prisons. Uh, he is the author of uh, many books. Uh, about uh, World War II, and so uh, not just uh, World War II, but uh, sports as well, and he worked 10 years in sports TV, so uh, somewhat similar backgrounds, but um, yeah, it is great to have you with us wherever you are listening, coast-to-coast, border-to-border, and around those American Forces Radio Network. Yeah, that's right. I said it. Um, Plus, I have relatives who fought in all the wars, and so... um, You know, I'm always interested in that as well. But yeah, when I was 14, I went to Baston, which is uh, where the 101st Airborne, yeah, you'd wonder why a parachute, uh, paratrooper division would be there. But the 101st Airborne held out. And uh, General McAuliffe was asked to uh, surrender, and he wrote a note back. And it was one word, it just said nuts. And I have said that uh, in today's world, if an American general. Uh, was asked to surrender, he would write the same thing except one word in front of it. He would write "D's nuts, I think, was what uh, they'd probably say now. You know the kids today, how they think. Rick, don't tell us what we think. Luca Fury, Luca Fury. Is anybody more aptly named than Luca Fury? Because he covers the MMA for AgainstTheNumber.com. He's going to join us after the break. And then we'll talk uh, to Gilda Shepherd about her new book, Uh, Since I was, uh, since I've been down. That's right. Bad grammar and all. Since I've been down. Since I've been down. Kelly Clarkson, right? Oh, that's since you've been gone. Anyway, 1 800 878 Play, TuneIn app, iHeartRadio app, Stitcher app, Um, CRN Digital Plus 2, the cable radio network channel 2. Cable providers uh, as well American Forces Worldwide, SportsByline.com. Come on back.
19: Beating the books at their own game. Visit against the number.com. That's against the number.com.
6: Fidulating sports with Rick Tittle. Rick Tittle is a genius, the best show ever. He's so wonderful, genius, the best show ever. He's so wonderful, titillating sports with Rick Tittle. Rick Tittle, is it he so handsome? He's a genius.
3: Thank you for that. Welcome back to the show. Eleven, twelve—that's the time we check in Monday through Friday with one of the prognosticators and talk about their sport of expertise at gets the number.com and they are a highly skilled team of premium sports handicappers focused on one thing and one thing only beating the sports books at their own game. They cover every sport worldwide from the NFL to college basketball to soccer to cricket to tennis to European hockey and all of them are proven winners. They offer full season, end of current season, 1 month, 1 week, 1 day and 1 year specialist specific packages. Their prices are reasonable, their tracking and distribution process is simple and their results are Real. And joining us is our friend Luca Fury from AgainstTheNumber.com. And uh, Luca, I know that uh, you uh, tweeted out, you were coming on, and as you put it, the shenanigans at UFC Vegas 55. Let's just start off with uh, what, what do you qualify as some of the shenanigans?
10: Well, it's definitely an interesting, uh, I guess, controversy if you want to call it, regarding the main event. Uh, the decision ultimately went to Ketlin Vieira, but a lot of people thought that Holly Holm won the fight, and it was interesting. Actually, watching live, I pretty firmly thought that Holly Holm won. I thought she won four rounds to one, so pretty clear win in that regard. Um, the MMA Media, they had it 18-2 to two in the favor of Holm, so also pretty clear there. And also, Verdict MMA, a fan-scoring site, it was their most lopsided decision in terms of who the fans scored for versus who the judges scored for. And so, at the time, it seemed like a pretty clear robbery, but when I went back and actually watched the fight, which was uh, earlier today, actually pretty clearly scored it correctly for uh, Ketlin Vieira, so I actually thought the judges got it right.
3: What is it about the naked eye and what we see, and we think somebody's getting their behind beat down, but then I kind of liken it to the Olympics where the white portion of the boxing glove, if it touches, even if I just give it a love tap or knock the hell out of you, it counts as a point. Is that how they were trying to accumulate the score?
10: I think two things in specific happened in this fight. One of them was sort of unique to it, and one of them is more common. The more common one is that Holly Holm, I guess you could say, won, quote unquote, the majority of the rounds. Like, for example, round two uh, was the clearest one for Ketlin Vieira, but Holm still won a lot of the rounds just by clinching her up against the fence. The thing was, she wasn't doing really anything up against the fence. She was landing small shots, and of course, they do account for something, but. The real meaningful offense, the clean, hard strikes, the damage, which is what is by far number one in the scoring criteria, that was all in the favor of Catelyn Vera the entire fight long. And so you would have, say, rounds like three and four, which people thought that home won, which including me, live thought home won. But going back and rewatching it, yeah, sure, she had several minutes up against the fence where she was landing these very small knees to the thigh and stuff like that. But then every time they went to range, she was getting tagged clean and hard with the right hands possibly even getting rocked at times, forcing, to, forcing clinches to save herself. So I think when people were watching it live and they see several minutes where you kind of feel like Holly Holmes winning, even though she's not really doing much, that kind of cancels out the real meaningful offense that Vieira was doing. But when you actually look at what was really happening and what matters and what the scoring criteria favors, it's that damage. It's not just pushing someone against the fence, no matter how much you do that for. The other thing that happened is Vieira's coaches were very unhappy with her. And we're basically just dumping on her in the corner between rounds. It was actually one of the harshest corners you've ever seen. Yeah, her, her head coach at one point even said to her, uh, did you come here for tourism or did you come here to hit her? Like, what are you doing? Like he was screaming at her, swearing at her. So I think people also took that. And then we're like, oh, well, even her coach thinks that she clearly lost the fight and is doing terribly. Obviously she did then, but really she
17: didn't.
3: I think a lot of times too, you know, just if you, well, let me ask you how you take this in the middle of the second round. It, it looked like Holm was going to die. She was being choked out, and, and you could just see um, the, the Vieira putting every ounce of her being into trying to basically kill her, and Holm was able to get out of that. So do you give kudos to Holm of being able to get out of it, or do you give more credit to Vieira for getting her in such a devastating chokehold?
10: So the the rules actually in the past used to specifically outline that they do that you are supposed to score effective defense. I believe they've pretty much completely mitigated that from the rules since then, and they actually keep adjusting them slightly over time. Effectively now, what the rules say is damage is number one. Like that's that is basically all that matters. If there is no damage for whatever reason, then you start looking at the other categories, such as. Uh, who is controlling the where the fight takes place, you know, is someone gra- out grappling the other, stuff like that. So basically, home would win this fight if Katlin did not land any of the big strikes that she landed at range. However, in every round that, well, I shouldn't say every round, but in the two most meaningful rounds in terms of scoring, round three and four, the ones where people thought home won and that then thus ultimately won the decision, whereas, again, live I thought that as well, but going back now, I think Vieira won those. She landed big hard clean strikes all throughout the rounds and so that doesn't the the, the small clinch strikes that home landed the multiple minutes of just pushing uh, a against the fence that does not outweigh those clean hard strikes and the damage that viera was landing
3: that's the thing too yeah when um, the third round and viera just standing on the fence getting pummeled and you know Holmes said look i'll give her a round two but i won uh, all the other fights so People say fix fix fix. It's interesting that you said you uh, went back looked at it and and you agree with the judges
10: Yeah, and like I said live I actually thought home won four rounds to one So I thought it was kind of clearly in her favor But like I said, even I fell victim to not only her coach kind of overreacting But also it did seem just watching it as you're sort of building the subconscious narrative that 75 80% maybe even 90% of every single round home is winning quote-unquote, but again her winning is, is basically barely edging it out. It's like a 51-49% margin, whereas all the times that Vieira is winning, it's a massive margin. You know, it's, we're talking about big strikes, real damage, real offense. And so this is actually a situation where you go back five years ago, there is not a chance that the judges ever score this for Vieira. They give it to home every single time. They used to always overrate these types of situations. I'm actually incredibly impressed that they got this right, and i got to give them their due
1: props.
3: I'm actually incredibly impressed, too, of how far female MMA fighting has come. Could you imagine 20 years ago us talking about this as the main event and breaking it down like we have?
10: Yeah, there's definitely been some really good female fights uh, over the last few years. Uh, Rose versus Zhang, that was one of the the great ones. I mean, there's some real high-level technique, which is really great to see. And there's still so much room for the divisions to improve. They're still adding more divisions. So there's definitely still some... Some growing pains with the female divisions at times. I think the UFC kind of shoots themselves in the, their own foot by uh, putting some fights on the main card that really don't deserve it when there's some quality matchups they could promote instead, but sometimes they don't go necessarily for the best quality matchups when it comes to women's MMA, unfortunately. So. What
3: do you think about uh, Blaktovich beating Rakic and he went down after a knee injury and now both guys need surgery? <laughs>
10: Yeah, that was an interesting fight. So I feel like Rakhic probably would have gone on to win. However, it was probably going to be very, very close. My read going into the fight was he's probably going to have to use his wrestling to get the job done. He's not as effective of a pocket exchanger as uh, Blahovitz is. And we saw that in the fight. He lost the first round because he was exchanging in the pocket. He switched the wrestling, which Jan didn't really have much of an answer for. I don't see why that would have changed later on in the fight. Rockets probably would have had the cardio to keep up the wrestling. I think he probably wins a close 3-2 decision there if the injury doesn't happen, which is unfortunate for him. That said, though, he hasn't really improved very much from as far as what you'd like to see from a prospect. He's young. He's not that experienced. He has a big build for the division. He's a good athlete, and he's just kind of the exact same fighter he has been since he made his way to the UFC. So despite the fact that I thought he would have gone on to win, I thought it was kind of a disappointing performance from him.
3: Fair enough. Last question for you. UFC 277 is set. Juliana Pena against Ananda, uh, Amanda Nunes, the, the rematch. Also, Brandon Moreno and Kai Kara France, another headliner. What do you think about those two fights as we look forward to the end of July?
10: Very curious to see how Nunes looks, because in the past, when she was first on the scene in Strike Force and the UFC in that, she was kind of known for being a quitter. She would be a great frontrunner, and as soon as she faced adversity, the wheels would fall off. She would just completely fall apart and basically quit. And that's exactly what you saw in her fight against uh, uh, Juliana Pena last time out. And that's something we had not seen in several years from her. She'd actually shown to be greatly improved, not only in terms of her skill set, but her mental game as well. So I'm not sure why all of a sudden her mental game reverted back to how it was like 10 years ago. But if that's the case for the rematch, I'm, I'm not sure how it's going to go for her. But if she regains her proper form and she actually has that mental durability, it is an absolutely horrible style matchup for Pain. And really, Nunez should cruise in it.
3: There he is, Luca Fury. If you want MMA prognostication insights, check him out at againstthenumber.com and all his friends and all the other sports as well. Luca, thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right, I'm Rick Tittle. We'll take a break, and we got an open segment on the other side. Don't be shy, 1-800-878-PLAY, and we'll come on back on Sports Lab.
1: That's 800 1845
12: Piddle is a majestic stallion.
3: All right, thank you for that. We got uh, filmmaker Gilda Shepard on the other side, but lines are available this segment at 1-800-878-PLAY. So the Celtics have lost four games this postseason. They won the four games that followed those four losses by almost 70 points. They have not lost consecutive games that Jason Tatum has played in Since January. So the resilience from the Celtics has been proven time and time again in the playoffs so far now. This spread might make you uh, a bit nervous when you see that the uh, Heat are favored by six. (laughs) But when you look at Miami, they haven't had the easiest time putting opponents away. I mean, Philadelphia was down 2-love. They got it to 2-2. Even the Hawks had a bit of fight in them later in the first round, even though Miami was dealing with some injuries. But if you think the Heat are going to walk to this series, I wouldn't expect it, even with two home games left. And given their desperation, I think Boston should probably be be favored in this one. So I'm not a betting man, so to speak, but I would definitely take those six points and run with them right now. The story in Game 3 was that Miami scored a lot of points off of Boston's turnovers. And of course, every one of those points was needed for the Heat to win. But what has been drastically understated in the process, I think, is just how well these teams are scoring, I think, relative to our expectations. Because Miami's half-court offense was a question mark all season. And then Boston's ball handling limitations are... Uh, they have been an issue all postseason as well so if you think about the uh, you know the the stretches of the shooting where Miami is making 32 percent of their threes even after sinking 20 of them in game two and Boston hits about 40 I just think when you get to the final four in the NBA so to speak that you can't just say, well, this is the way the series is going to go. Like, if you just say, well, tomorrow the Warriors will close out uh, Dallas. No. Look look what happened with the Grizz. The Warriors lost that game. They were down by 55 at one point. And you could say, well, that's not the Warriors. I mean, if the Warriors win the NBA title this year, you go, oh my gosh, what an amazing team. They lost the playoff game. Uh, They were blown out. At one point they were down 55. So every game Every game is its own entity, but if you're looking at uh, you know over unders, Jimmy Butler uh, at 25 and a half points, considering his knee injury, wouldn't you take the under in there? I, I don't know. As they said, I'm not <laughs> I'm not gonna bet one penny on it. But those are some kind of the things that stick out, and I do think the Celtics will will tie it out uh, tonight. Um, speaking of the NBA, one more name can be eliminated off the Lakers coaching search, and that is Michigan coach Juwan Howard. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN Woj says that he has resisted a quote unquote overture. Why they would be interested in Howard. I mean, I guess I can see it a little bit, but, um, you know, notwithstanding the time he went after a sassy assistant coach on another team. But the Lakers never made an if- official offer to Howard, but apparently yeah. there was interest, and maybe they would have talked if Howard was interested. And, and, yeah, he was. Howard was an assistant with Miami for six years, and he's been the head coach of the Wolverines now for the last three. But his son Jace and his son Jet are both on the team. And last year, Howard was coach of the year. So that's why I said – you know, I can see why they would, they would talk to him. But then again, when you think about some of these other names, you think, well, maybe Jawan Howard does sound better because they've narrowed their search to three guys. These are all the reports now, and there could be a wild card somewhere. But it's Buck's assistant, Darvin Ham. Remember him when he with the Nuggets? Warriors assistant, Kenny Atkinson, the former Nets coach, and Trailblazers coach, Terry Stotts. And reports are says that Ham has made the strongest impression on the front office so far. So, <clears throat> Ham has been with the Bucks the last four years. He followed um, Mike Budenholzer from the Hawks. He came over with him, and um, obviously leading the Bucks to a championship and developing Giannis. And you know, I remember his name being mentioned in the past for some other jobs. Didn't get it. But, uh, I mean, Stotts hadn't coached since parting ways with uh, Portland after last year. And, of course, during his time there, got him to the conference finals in the West and in nine years only missed the playoffs one time. And since then, he served as an assistant with the Clippers and uh, the Warriors as well. Now, there was some speculation that Doc Rivers would be interested. If they had Doc Rivers, they'd have to trade for him. Uh, but first of all, uh, the Sixers said, we're not getting rid of Doc Rivers. Sorry. Um, one other story I wanted to get to you might have missed was the <clears throat> the little fracas between the Yankees and the White Sox a couple of days ago. Um, Josh Donaldson, Donaldson stepped to the plate with the Yankees and White Sox catcher Yosemite Grandal started going back and forth a little bit. And what it was was that Donaldson had called Tim Anderson earlier in the game Jackie, as in Jackie Robinson. Tony La Russa after the game said it was racist. And so everyone was looking yesterday, ooh, we're going to see this game now and see what happened because Donaldson had said, look, he's called himself Jackie Robinson in the past. I was just kidding with him. It's not the least bit racist. I'm sorry he took it that way. It was an inside joke. He's the one who called himself that. So yesterday, um, they're getting ready to do actually a double dip. And prior to the game, Liam Hendricks weighed in, his uh, former teammate in Oakland, and he called Donaldson's explanation complete bull s. Hendricks said, that's completely inappropriate. And then after hearing what was said after the game, usually... You have inside jokes with people you get along with, not people you don't get along at all. So that statement right there was complete bull-ass. But then again, my feelings toward the individual in question are pretty well documented that we don't get along. I've not spoken to, I think it's four separate clubhouses that he's been in as a whole, and none of them get along. So him trying to whip out that narrative is complete and utter bull-ass. In this clubhouse, we have TAs back in everything that was just a completely unacceptable thing and trying to whip it out as an inside joke. That's horse S they don't have those sorts of things going on. It's like having an inside joke with a guy you are a nemesis with, I guess you could say, but that's not how it went down in this clubhouse. And I don't understand how we ever thought about it. It's just straight delusional. So Donaldson and uh, Hendricks not only played together with the A's, but Donaldson and Hendricks played together with the Blue Jays, and um, last season, he said, did Hendricks, playing with Donaldson, I am not a Donaldson fan. I saw behind the curtain too much, turned many teammates into enemies. What was that about? And he said that uh, Donaldson had issues with Lucas Jolito as well. He didn't want to get into it. Now, I remember interviewing Josh Donaldson as a Sacramento River Cat. After he had had a brief call-up with the A's, a cup of coffee, he had a home run at Toronto, ironically. And he – I still have it recorded on my phone somewhere. And he said, uh, oh, hitting was so easy in high school and at Auburn and in the minors, but, man, the bigs, I don't know how they do it. They only called him up because Brandon Inge got hurt. He still would never have played any third base. He'd still be a backup catcher probably somewhere. But, of course, he went on to be an American League MVP. I do remember one time he called my postgame show drunk <laughs> – and his girlfriend was going, he's drunk, he's drunk. Um, I always got along with him. I remember having a conversation with him when he was on the A's about Arizona State um, because uh, Sogard was there and I'm an ASU fan. And, and then he said, Oh, Fear of the Fork is kind of. I always thought Donaldson, you know, he's got that, I think he's from Pensacola. He's got kind of that drawl. He's just, you know, I just thought he was just kind of a jock, right? He didn't strike me as any racist. But I mean, Liam Hendricks. Is a guy who was pretty much beloved. So the Australian, uh, you know, at least by his teammates, they really liked him. Remember, he told uh, Ryan Christensen now at the Padres, that looks like a Nazi salute. You might want to bring your arm down. So it's an interesting situation, and it makes the White Sox and Yankees uh, maybe a little bit of a rivalry going on here. All right, come on back on Sports Podcast.
1: Get much for five bucks these days, unless you go to Wendy's for a five dollar biggie bag. Get your choice of double stack, junior bacon cheeseburger, or crispy chicken BLT, plus four piece snugs, fries, and a drink, all for just five bucks.
11: That was smooth, wasn't it? That's how you're gonna feel when you get that biggie bag at Wendy's. U.S. price participation may vary, includes four piece nuggets, small soft drink, and small fry. Prices may be higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Do you need to get your hands
1: on some extra money right now? Maybe $25,000 or more? If you're a homeowner, now is the perfect time to get cash out while homes in many neighborhoods like yours have gone up in value. You can use the money for anything. It's yours. You can buy an investment property, pay off higher interest debt, or make home improvements. If you need $25,000, $50,000, or more, now is the time. Home values are up, and so is your equity. We offer you a way to use it. No need to use your savings. Call New American Funding now and see how much cash out you can get. Call 800-209-6124. 800-209-6124. 800-209-6124. That's 800-209-6124. NMLS 6606. www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org This is not an offer or commitment to lend. Subject to borrower and property qualifications. Not all borrowers will qualify. Terms and conditions apply. Equal housing opportunity.
12: I'm so disgusted by Rick Tittle that I find him very intoxicating.
3: All right. When we get our guests, we'll throw her on the air. Until then, lines are available. one 800 We've talked about Arch Manning in the past. He's the son of Cooper Manning, the uh, older brother of Eli and Peyton. Of course, both Super Bowl winners, multiple each. Their dad, Archie Manning, a star of the... Uh, New Orleans Saints back in the day. But uh, he has visited many campuses. He's gone to many games. Um, and now, uh, according to 247 Sports, he's narrowed it down to three. And he's now going to take official visits. This kid uh, at Is- Isidore Newman High School, three-year starter, six four two twenty. He's thrown for over 6,300 yards and 81 touchdown passes. And uh, he's rushed for about 750 yards and 19 touchdowns as well. I'm I'm just waiting for the point now where they tell Arch Manning, don't go outside, live in a net like Kobe beef. We're going to feed you. You're going to sleep on a bed of marshmallows. And uh, just whatever you do, don't do anything athletic. (laughs) So... Uh, Those schools are Georgia, Alabama, and Texas. And he had a little quote about each school. About Georgia, he said, they have a really good staff. They just have athletes all over the place, whether it's O-line or their entire defense. They had 15 guys drafted. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with the quarterbacks this year and just asking some questions on my official visit. And that's the thing to keep in mind, too, is that, you know, you could go there and they could say, uh, well, you might have to wait. And he's like, I don't want to wait. And just to fin- we have our guests, but just to finish up the thought, the other one was Alabama, And Manning said their quarterback play has been insane the last couple of years with Bryce Mac, to there's really nothing bad about Alabama. And then Texas, I think kind of a wild card here. He said, Coach Sark's first year with a whole new roster, uh, it's going to be successful. I look forward to seeing what they can do, what they can build. Coach Milwey is a great guy. I think it's really important to be close to your position, Coach. And then therein, that shows why he's thinking about Texas. And I think about the Longhorns, how long they've been in the wilderness – To resurrect that massive program would be pretty cool. All right, let's bring in our guest. It is filmmaker Gilda Shepard. She has a brand new film available tomorrow, video on demand. It has been getting great reviews through so many film festivals. She wrote it. She directed it. She produced it. It's called Since I Been Down. We sent children. We feared to prison for life without parole. Our fear was wrong. Gilda, this is a, a very interesting and very heavy topic. How did you get involved, and uh, what was the genesis behind this project?
2: Well, thank you for having me, Rick. Um, well, the genesis behind this project emerged from my um, concern for all our children, you know. Our film tells a dramatic story of how in America's backyard, a community in Tacoma, Washington, was held captive by the 80s and 90s racist policies that cast a a fear-based kind of practice on all of our children, particularly poor, black, and brown children. And I had been working in prisons, and um, I met some of the most redeemable and redeemed and and witnessed the triumph of the human spirit of these young men and women who are now adults who were impacted by these policies and were given life without parole for violent crimes. But it exposed the kind of um, fear impact it had on children and not looked at, The cause of these sometimes non-negotiable pathways to joining gangs and doing violence in the community didn't look at the disinvestment in communities and in education and things like that. But my film is not a slow fade into gore. Like I said, it's the triumph of the human spirit because it shows how these children who are now adults are developing programs and pathways so that we can all look at each other through a lens of humanity.
3: I'm interested about, in your mind, the percentage of redeemable and people penitent enough to learn their lessons and grow into it, because the whole three strikes law, which is, you know, <laughs> pretty much, uh, you know, unbendable that we were supposed to throw away the key for people who was like, okay, three times you didn't learn your lesson, out of sight, out of mind, just be locked up forever. How many of those young adults that you've met now would you agree are someone that, people that must be kept off our streets because they are too horrible to redeem, and then the percentage that you say are redeemable?
2: Um, Actually... I can't quantify. I can't say a certain percentage and a certain percentage not. What I can say, actually, is that our culture of punishment is not working for the possibility of those who we say cannot be put on the streets. It's not working in their behalf. What I see working is when prisoner-initiated programs, when the subject people who are most impacted by these um, uh, these punishment policies take it upon themselves to build community and look at each other you know cross race, cross crime lines and give them an, uh, a possibility of redeeming themselves through education. So I, I can't quantify it you know I, you know, uh, mm-hmm. That's the reason why I'm a filmmaker. I want to present stories of possibilities. And I mean, yeah, there are some people who are in prison that you just say, come on, let's, let's uh, let them out. Because what are you letting them out to? You're letting them out to um, disinvestment in communities, um, difficulty in getting a job, difficulty in getting education. Because one of the things that you find out with a lot of folks who are going to prison, there's a profile. They usually don't have their high school um, um, di- uh, uh, diploma. They usually are poor. You, know? um, you can get a zip code and, uh, through environmental science and research. You can say how long a person might live based on their zip code, their likelihood. Instead of looking at this as you did wrong and you did right, You know, I think we need to look at violence and things through a public health lens. And I'm not talking about soft on crime, not at all. I'm talking about what programs work before this happens and what before a crime happens, but what and what programs work for redemption.
3: You think about the eighties and the early nineties, the war on drugs, the, and, and the, of course the irony now that a lot of States marijuana is sold, you know, right next to a Starbucks. Um, and you know, the, just say no Nancy Reagan times and the, the, that national drug war frenzy, the escalating, escalating crime to gang activity, how much of, uh, of these kids in your mind had a chance to avoid all that, to stay on the straight and narrow with all those challenges?
2: Um, good question. I don't, I think it ambushed a lot of kids, right?
9: Mm-hmm. I mean, if
2: you look at the brain science research, that said that a person's brain is not fully developed until they're 25. And so um, all of these things like joining gangs, picking up a gun, being violent, Are outcomes. They're not the um, reasons for this um, folks joining gangs. These kids were were playing with kids, and so um, they join gangs because that was the thing to do. But this cultural punishment is what is wreaking havoc, and I dare say, ambushing our children and families, whole intact families, right? So. Unless we look at transformative justice, you know, looking at our policies and see what can happen, even the brain science in Washington State um, has gone up to that you're an adult at the age of 20, right? And the years before it was 17, right? and so it's not like okay, we get and we understand that now when a person makes the decision to do harm to another person, we need to look at it. Um, through public, through public health issues, but then we also need to look at what do, how we what are our education um, uh, system doing. When you realize that about fourteen thousand kids will see a police person in a school and not see a counselor or social worker, right? And so instead of looking at how folks can negotiate some of these social problems, we will continue to have our children join gangs and do violent um, activities. So I think we, this film really uncovers the cultural punishment that has been, has wreaked havoc on children under our roof and children under everybody's roof, and to see people through a human lens.
3: Just a couple minutes left, last question. You spotlight Kamonte Carter. What was it about him that that he was the uh, de facto star of this documentary?
2: Well, Monte Carter became like um, the spine of the film because he encompassed so many of, if you look at Monte Carter as a Mississippi River, right? And all the tributaries like race, like um, poverty, like lack of education, disinvestment in a community, he embodied all of that. So he became the pathway for the other voices to come in, Um, uh, cross-race lines, policemen and um, families and um, educators. So he was a fine foundation for me to tell the larger story of systemic possibilities of not only what the problem is, but the possibilities of a solution.
3: The film is called Since I've Been Down. We sent our children we feared to prison for life without parole. Our fear was wrong. It is coming out tomorrow, Video On Demand, and our guest, Gilda Shepard. She wrote it, she directed it, she produced it, and I said this film has gotten great reviews so far. Gilda, congratulations on the uh, project.
2: Thank you so much.
3: All right. We'll take a quick break. We'll come on back and still time to call in if you'd like at 1-800-878-PLAY. I'm Rick Tittle. We'll see you next time.
4: Call Rate Genius now.
1: 800 811 7913. 800 811 7913. 800 811 7913. That's 800 811 7913. Not all applicants qualify for a loan
5: or rate savings. Actual offer terms, including APR, are determined at the time of your application based on creditworthiness, value of the vehicle, loan
7: term, and other factors.
9: Has someone in your family lost a job recently and now you can't afford your mortgage payment? Or do you have a rental property and your tenants aren't paying you? We can come to the rescue and pay you cash for your home immediately. Yes, sell your home and get cash all over the phone without dealing with real estate agents or having to waste time showing your home to lukewarm buyers. You don't need to lose your house to foreclosure. If you have equity in your home, we'll buy your home and give you cash within days, all in a simple over the phone and virtual process. Call now before your situation gets worse. Sell a home you can't afford or just need anymore and get the cash you need today. Call this number now.
1: 800-950-8218. 800-950-8218. 800-950-8218. That's 800-950-8218. Paid for by Want to Sell.
16: It doesn't really matter. I I don't like my job and... uh... I don't think I'm gonna go anymore.
12: Tittle thinks there's a direct correlation between dogs and lightning.
3: Thank you for that. And welcome back to the show. You know, the other day, USA Today put out the 10 worst fan bases in sports. And their worst fan base in all of sports, Miami Heat. What? What? Uh, the Warriors were on the list because he said everybody's fake, and there are only two fans that were a fan of the team before Steph Curry. And I get it; there are a lot of bandwagon. I mean, just ask Giants fans how many have jumped on board in the last twelve years. You know, it happens. Ask, you know, it 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 just success breeds that. Um, but the the two problem, <laughs> the two problems I have with the list is number one that. They think the Heat fans are, are the worst in sports. It sounds like something personal. But the fact that Dodger fans are not on the list makes the list null and void. You can put nine other teams on there. You can say, just pick just pick some teams out of the thin blue sky now. Jaguars, Mariners, <laughs> Atlanta Hawks. I don't care. If you don't have Dodger fans on the list and really up to number one, that's not a list because they come late and they leave early and they are the definition of a fairweather fan so you know don't, if you're going to put out a list at least try to make it if you can't win the heat argument if the dodgers aren't even in your top 10 that's all i'm saying okay we'll see you tomorrow at 9 a.m we'll do another edition of titillating sports
6: You don't have brain damage. <laughs> <laughs> Great way to end the show.